what's going on. And I do, I do mean the words of the prayer this morning. I do mean the idea that some people here and some people you know and some people you love, they think they have done something so bad that God can't forgive. He wouldn't want them. And that, listen, that's the lie of the enemy. That's spiritual warfare. There's no truth in that idea. Listen, if the thief on the cross looks at Jesus with nothing to offer and says, Remember me? Lord, remember me? And Jesus says, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Right? There's that one. There's Saul of Tarsus. Right? Helped murder Christians. Helped persecute Christians. And you and I one day are going to hug his neck and thank him for the Christian influence he had. King David, the messes that he made. Right? A man of war is also a man after God's own heart. There's nothing you and I can do that the cross of Jesus doesn't overcome. Tenfold, a millionfold, infinity fold. That's how big and how good our God is. We're going to talk today about what's new. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Uh, last week we, start, we started off 2023 with where's the new? Like where's, where's the new? Like what's going to change this year for me? What's going to change this year for you? We talked about the idea that everybody's OCD likes to kick in, right? Some of you all, and, and Phil Schaefer got me this morning laughing about the fact that I'm probably not even using the planner that I bought for 2023 and we're in the second Sunday, right? So he already got me this morning and jabbed me with that one. Like you've already put it down. Uh, you're not even paying attention to it anymore. He's probably right. But what are we going to do? You're going to lean into these improvements. Listen, friends, you are required to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've got some new people here this morning, so I just want to give you a fast rundown. If you are required to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength out of Luke chapter 10, then there are going to be moments that you and I have to back up, reconsider what's going on in our life, and fix that. My only fear last week was we do it once a year instead of once a week. You woke up on the first day of the week this morning, right? His mercies are new every morning. You roll out of bed. Are you thinking about the things today that, man, I missed on that, Lord, yesterday. I'm sorry. I missed on that, Lord, yesterday, last week. I'm sorry. I want to get better. I want to do better. Push me. Drive these changes. Make them real. Make them steady. Help me to love people better. My wife, my children, my friends, my church. Every week. And then, when we get real good, every morning. His mercies are new every morning, which means you and I need to be relying on them every morning. No matter what yesterday held, you got up this morning to a God that loves you and His mercies are new. We need to take consistent inventory. We need to recognize our needs and we need to change course at times. What is that process called? Very biblical word. We're going to read it today in Acts chapter 2. Repent. That is repentance right so when you see the word repent that's what you're that's what you're looking at the holy spirit moves he puts his finger on something and says this isn't right we need to fix it and you say okay i'm listening i will do it forgive me and you turn and you go another direction that's called repentance that's a sign of Christian work. That's a sign that the holy spirit is alive and well in the new believer it may look very drastic because their whole life is going one direction and the Holy Spirit shows up and says, we need to change course. That course is leading to destruction, desolation, chaos, and hell. That's the road you're going down. And so that about face may be very, very drastic. But for some of us that have been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that repentant process may not be as drastic. It may be an attitude, right? A habit something nobody else knows about, and yet the Holy Spirit is molding, making, 
Uh, he is pursuing us, making us look more like Jesus so that we can bless those around us, that they could see him too. That's what he's doing in your life. That's what he's doing in mine. We went to John chapter 3, and we talked about what Jesus had to tell Nicodemus. There was going to be a new birth, right? Born of water, born of spirit. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, listen, if you, if you don't understand how to give this to someone, how do you understand the deeper things of Scripture? Like this idea to Jesus was foundational. It was milk of the word. It wasn't even meat because he's looking at Nicodemus and saying, if you can't pitch this, if you can't explain this idea, how are you going to explain anything else? Nicodemus comes at night and says, Lord, we know you're from God. We know you're something special. Nobody can do the things you can do. And Jesus just jumps right in. Unless a man be born again. Be born again. Got to crawl up in my mother's womb and come back out again? Like that's the question Nicodemus poses. There's a new source born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is creating in you and I something new. See, that's why we still struggle with this flesh. It's still there. It's not been crucified totally yet. It's not been killed off yet. You and I are struggling. We're struggling with fear and doubt and worry and sin. We're struggling with having our pride pricked, right, being upset. We're struggling with all those things because within us is still that old self. Now, there was a new birth take place, right, and that's what's fighting back. That birth from God. There's a new covenant. There's the covenant of grace and love. And we're going to see it today really cool. There's a really cool picture in Acts chapter 2 that mirrors uh, Exodus 32. I can't wait to show it for you. And then finally, when you wake up on December 31st, or, or, or you're rolling into January 1st, think, man, I'm going to be a new me. Listen, friends, you need a new birth, a new source, and a new covenant to create a new you. In order to be what you and I want to be, you need those three things first. So what's new? Is there a way for us to see the new? If we were to see a picture of it, is there one for us to pull up a piece of Scripture that you could see Jesus' promises all come true? I think it's Acts chapter 2. We see the birth of the church there. We just point to one moment and say, there it is. That's what it looks like. Now, next week's sermon is going to be about the church. We're going to see the church in all of its glory today. There's not one negative piece of what goes on as we read through Acts chapter 2. It is new. It is fresh. These people have seen something amazing, and they have bought in totally to the point where they're selling off their stuff and bringing it in and laying it at the disciples' feet and saying, giving it to someone, give it to someone that needs it. I don't need all this. Like, that's how strong and legit this church is. The only place socialism has ever worked, Acts chapter 2. I've got extra. I'm going to bring it in. And I'm going to lay it down, and you're going to give it to somebody that needs it. That's what goes on here. It's an amazing passage of Scripture, but it is the best possible picture. Next week, we'll talk about the church that Paul is dealing with, the church that's growing, the church filled with real people. We'll go to one of those passages, and you could pick, we could pick 10 to choose from next week, but you'll go to one of those passages and one of those epistles, and there will be a long list of things that the church should be doing, ought to be doing, and is not doing, and how to correct that, and we'll look at that next week, because that is real life. This is peak living. Acts chapter 2 is a super high bar to live up to. It shows the fulfillment of John chapter 3. The new birth, the new source, the new covenant, and a new them shows up in this passage. And if you and I want to see the Lord move, we need to be able to recognize it when he is moving. I'm going to look at four things today. The messengers, the message, the fruit, and the fellowship. All in Acts chapter 2. Read with me. 
first 13 verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is 50, Penta 50. Okay, this is a Jewish holiday, but it's also the day that the Lord has chosen, right, for something super special. How long was Jesus resurrected walking around on the world? 40 days, right? And this is really important because the very first verse gives us an idea of how God's blessing comes on our life. He, was, he ascends on day 40. This is Pentecost, so it's day 50. So how many days we got in between? And a week and a half. Ten days, right? Ten days, the disciples are doing something, and it's going to lead to the greatest blessing they've ever experienced. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The saints are all together. Why are they together? Because Jesus told them to be. Remember? What's his last command? Go wait. One day. Two days, three days, wait. It's the hardest command you and I get from the Lord. Mm. <laughs> wait, wait, that blessing is coming. That, that promise is going to be fulfilled. That thing is going to happen. Wait, 10 days, 10 days. The Lord is just like their whole life has been rocked in this last Six, seven-week time period. Totally rocked. Jesus crucified. Jesus resurrected. Seen him a couple times. Ate lunch with him. Put my hand in his side. There is a resurrected Jesus Christ right there. The tomb is empty. Nobody can bring a dead body out and shut this church down. And now we're told to wait. But I want to go. I want to do. I want to tell somebody. And they're there because Jesus' command is, to wait until power comes from on high. And so they're there, and 10 days later, they're still together. Praying, rejoicing, talking about. Can you imagine the stories they were telling in that 10-day time period? What Jesus has done, the things you and I have never seen, the things that they experience. Like these people are pumped, and they are ready, but they don't even know the blessing to come. Verse 2, and suddenly there came... From heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So we have the saints, they're there together. Who else shows up? The Holy Spirit. Who are the messengers to the gospel? Me and you. Holy Spirit. Who does the work? I mean, the partnership's like 99.99% and 0.01, right? The Holy Spirit is doing the work. He's wooing, he's calling, he's convicting, and yet God in his divine sovereignty, in his divine plan, looks and says, I'm going to use you to build the church. Jesus said, greater works will you do than I have done. That should blow our minds. I've thought about this many times. How in the world can the disciples be stronger and be better without Jesus standing right beside them? Because that's what he tells them. It's better for you that I go. I'm going to go. I'm going to pray. And the Lord is going to send the Holy Spirit. So what is in you right now? Listen, this is so important. 
as the temple of God, with the Holy Spirit in you right now, there is more power and more opportunity and more potential than if you were standing right beside Jesus. That's what he told the disciples. Because of what the Holy Spirit can do, the temple you and I now are, there is infinite resources and power within you. It's not of you. It's within you. God himself has taken up residence. That's what we see right here. The messengers of all that is going to come is going to be the saints. It's going to be real people. They're broken. They're frail. Some of them were nasty. Some of them were horrible people. And yet they were changed, made new, set apart, and used. Some of them you and I love as family members. Some of you know the stories of people, the testimonies of people. And you just think, man, the Lord can do that. Absolutely. And some of us sit around and think, man, I was saved early. I never messed up anything. Guess what? The Lord can save you too. I think it's funny the last song, all you sinners and all you saints, and I chuckle. I can't even really sing the word saints because I'm like, there ain't no saints in here. <laughs> right? It is a mess. We are a mess. But man, the Lord sees us that way. Right? Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, the hall of faith. Like David makes the hall of faith. Abraham makes the hall of faith. These people were liars, manipulators. Right? And God sees fit to elevate them, to show his glory, and to give you and I examples that matter. Keep reading with me. The Spirit is there like a rushing wind, tongues of fire. The promise is fulfilled. Jesus said, the Father did, and the Spirit resides. Jesus said it was going to happen. He goes to the throne and he says, Father, send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, I'll go. There's a trinity here, and they're all working in salvation and after salvation. Jesus is there advocating for you like your attorney, and the Holy Spirit is living within you, moving, prodding, grieving, right? We, we quench him, we grieve him at times, like he is interacting with us. Repent, grow, live more like the Lord, look like Jesus, say that thing, be that person, have courage, have hope. He's speaking to you this morning the promises of God. And then he wants you and I to speak them to other people. They need them too. Verses 5 to 11. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What's going on? The outside world is being brought into what's happening. Like, these aren't Christian people. They're not Jesus followers. They're there in the city because it's a holy day. Pentecost, okay, day 50. They're there for that. And that's the day God chooses to send the Holy Spirit and rock the world. So all of these people that don't want anything to do with it are now brought into it like, what's going on? They don't even know what they're doing. Listen, God works by bringing um, people into the gospel, but he also works by bringing you and I to them. Like, you're going through your life and you're at work, and the Lord is taking the gospel through you to other people, but he's also, on their end, manufacturing ways to bring them close to you. At times when you and I are frustrated, irritated, our timing is off, something's happened, we've been inconvenienced, a lot of times that is God working in their life to get them close to you. And heaven help us when they bump into us, and it's irritation, frustration, hurry, busyness, 
You and I need to understand those moments God is working there too. They're working in the convenience store. They're working with the guy that pulls up to help you with that flat tire. They're working with the guy at the auto dealership. He's working there with them as they're interacting with you. They're working in the servant or the server at the restaurant that got your order wrong. God's working there. Right? I'm going to bump this person into a believer today. Let's see how this goes. Oh, your steak's wrong. They got it wrong. Probably weren't even listening. That server. Idiot. Right? And boom. I ain't tipping them. Okay. Worked out real well. Right? The Lord is bringing them to the gospel, and he's taking you to them. That's what's going on in this passage. God has this mapped out, planned out. He is bringing people in the middle of the city so that when he shakes it to its core, the people walk outside and they're speaking in other tongues. And all of those people there can understand what's going on. And what are they talking about? The mighty works of God. That's verse 13. Keep reading with me. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own native tongue? Parthians and Medes. Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and uh, 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 Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God, and we're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, oh, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. Don't listen. They're drunk. The Lord shows off and he shines out. He shows off because he's rocking the world. And then he shines out because he's using normal people to do it. It's like, what is going on around here? These people, in Acts chapter 4, they'll say it this way. These are unlearned fishermen. I love that passage. It's one of my favorite in all of Scripture. The apostles are brought in, the disciples are brought in, and they're going to answer to people that are very high up in the culture. And the response from the people that are very high up in the culture, it'd be like jerking you into the Capitol or some courtroom and making you give an account for something. And by the time you finish, the judge looks over and says, aren't these people unlearned dupuses? Right? Isn't this an imbecile that works with his hands? What is going on here? Like, this doesn't make sense. How can what we know about this person produce this? The same thing is going on here. Aren't these Galileans? The dregs of the barrel. What is happening? You see, God shows up and he shows out. And he shines out through me and you. When he does his work in us, the world looks around and they are astonished. Acts chapter 4, these are unlearned individuals. What is happening? How can they answer our questions? How can they do so with such, such sturdiness? How can they be so strong? How can they be so tenacious? How can they answer with such wisdom? Because they are the temple of the living God. Every tongue is going to tell the mighty works of God. They're seekers and they're sours. Right? They're seekers. People are looking around looking for answers and they're sours. Ah, oh, they're drunk. They're hammered. Just go on about your business. Don't pay attention. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, that's the same temptation for a lot of people that are interacting with you. Somebody on the outskirts is looking at them and saying, That ain't real. It ain't going to last. You need to be miserable like me. You can't look at that and see something real. Two weeks. That new Jesus stuff, all that religious fervor. Right? Let them run into somebody that mistreats them. 
Let them run into somebody, the next person that doesn't do what they want to do. Right? Let them get the next phone call with the bad news, and they're going to be just like me and you. They're seekers that get brought in to the story because God wants to use And they're sours. They're just, that ain't, that ain't real. The temptation is still today. People you work with, people you go to school with, they say the same stuff. When you're not around, hopefully. If they say it while you're there, you better be ready to have a defense. Right? But, ah, man, I hope they say it when you're not around. Like, man, that stuff ain't real. They don't really believe that way. They don't really love people like that. They don't really trust God like that. The greatest honor in the world would have people that are secular, to have people that are normal, natural men and women not understand why you and I live the way that we do. And so that when we walk off, they look at the next person and say, that ain't real. It's fake. Manufactured. Keep reading with me. The message. Verse 13, but Peter standing with the 11. Now, Peter has just denied the Lord a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago, right? Remember that? Like, we're early on into his uh, process of being restored to the Lord. Like, there are weeks. In that 40-day time period, Jesus is still not interacting with Peter like he does at the end of the book of John. I need you to understand this because this is fresh. Peter is going to stand up and give an account, but this is also the same Peter that said, Lord, if all of these other losers run... When the Romans come, I'm going to be right beside you. Right? And he follows halfway through that. Remember the story? Like he pulls the sword when the Romans come, and instead of like swinging at a centurion, he swings at a slave. (laughs) Right? Lops the ear off of somebody with no weapons. Like don't aim at the Roman soldier, Peter. You go get that one. Jesus, you take care of the rest of them. Right? I got this one. He does it a little bit later, right? Remember when he denies Jesus? Who does he deny him to? Servant girl. This is that Peter, that Peter. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus pulls Peter aside by himself. He says, do you love me? Remember that story? Peter says, yeah, Lord, I love you. There's one. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. There's two. Peter, do you love me? And it says Peter is grieved. Why? Because three times. How many times does he deny Jesus? How many times is he going to acknowledge him? Three. And then that moment, there is restoration. Peter, feed my sheep. Take care of my people. I'm leaving them in your hands. There's a restoration process there. What is the fruit of that? Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour. It ain't late enough yet. (laughs) Oh, man. That's too good. The Bible is a real book with real people. It ain't late enough yet. What are y'all talking about? Barely had enough time to get going today. It's the third hour. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Ooh, baby, that's a good promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22. 
men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, that one, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Isaiah 53. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up and loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Woo! The first fruit of what's to come. That's our inheritance too. It is not possible for death to keep a hold of you. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Why was, the, why was he resurrected in three days and not four? Jewish culture said, when did corruption start? Day four. When was the Spirit still hovering around? Day three, no corruption. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Even the timing is based off of prophecy and Scripture. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, brothers, I may uh, say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Verse 36. Six, let all those of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and and Christ, Lord and Anointed One, Lord and Messiah. This Jesus, whom you crucified. The messengers and the message. Part two, the message. The believer, listen, you and I are always making introductions. And the message that we give always starts before the moment we're actually in. Do you understand that? When you read throughout the New Testament, even uh, Peter here points backward as a way of proving what God had promised. So even Peter points to prophecy. You and I need to point to things that have happened before. You can point to the life of Christ. You can point to the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, you cannot nullify the historical, factual evidence surrounding a resurrected Jesus Christ. We date our calendars after that. Like, we've talked about this around Easter all the time, and I want you all to have the proof, right? But there are like four or five, six different things you can point to and say, if that wasn't a resurrected body, the church today makes no sense. Because the people that created it were the ones that saw firsthand what was going on. And instead of one disciple saying it wasn't true, we hid the body. Peter walking to his death and seeing his wife, looking at his wife and knowing she's getting crucified first. Him having to watch that. What man could watch that? Only one that had ate with a resurrected Jesus. Only one 
that knew in the next five hours, six hours, 24 hours, we're going to be in his presence. Who else could do that? The same kind of man that would look at his Roman captors and say, listen, crucify me upside down. I don't deserve to die like my Lord. All the disciples, most of the early Christians, died some way like that. It doesn't make any sense unless you ate, hugged, kissed a resurrected Jesus Christ. That you spent more than one moment with him. That for 40 days he come in and out of the lives of all these people. And the church grows based off of that because 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Paul says he goes through this long list of stuff. And at the end of it, he says, Jesus appeared to 500, some who are asleep, many who are still alive. What is the invitation of a response like that? Go talk to them. There's still a bunch left. Some have gone home to be with the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 15. The church grew off of the testimony of people that saw a resurrected Jesus. Their faith wasn't like ours. You and I believe what we have not seen. They believe what they saw. Even Paul, to a certain extent. I mean, Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse, blinds him, and then talks to him a couple times and brings him to heaven. Like, his faith is a little different than ours. But the message always starts before the moment you're in. What we've done, the mess we've made, what Jesus has done in my life. Like, all of those things are before now. You can point to prophecy. You can point with those that want to talk about that or will talk about that. There's prophetic evidence. There's the resurrection evidence there. You can point to so many things. Because you have to get them to acknowledge we're sinners, we're broken, we're needy, and God has promised a Redeemer. You have to get there. So our invitation always starts with something that's before. We're always making introductions. We use what God has said to point out what God will do. What the Lord has said He will do. From Jesus, the miracle worker, to Jesus, the sacrifice to Jesus, the Messiah and Lord. True salvation depends on how you and I understand who that is. God, man, was. It hinges on that. If he's not sinless and he's not perfect, he is a horrible sacrifice. Do you understand? How can he cover my sins when he can't take care of his own? If he's just a man like us, if the stories are true and the rumors are true, if he's just like you and I, but the Bible says he is just like you and I, yet without what? sin so when he went to that cross as a sacrificial lamb of God he could cover all sin he was the only man that could ever withstand all the temptation and land perfect in the throne room of God he is our advocate we have to be teaching people the real Christ lion of the tribe of Judah is coming Lamb of God right now. But once you meet the lion, it's too late. That's the message we're given. David, the king, sees the king. Jesus checks all the boxes. He's prophesied, he's perfect, he's powerful, and he's not dead. He's present. To this day, he is at work on your behalf and mine. Look at verse 37 with me. So what's the fruit what is going to be the fruit of this sermon? This is the same guy that couldn't tell uh, a proper story in front of a slave girl a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago. This is the same Peter. Now he's standing up and he is proclaiming to them what they've done to Jesus. 
It's a pretty big turnaround. Would you agree? Um, here's a 10-year-old girl. I'm going to lie to her. Here's a whole crowd of very successful, very influential people, and I'm just going to stand up and give them the truth. And I'm going to blame them partially for what has happened to my Lord and Savior and then call them to repent of their sin. That's a huge transition. Almost as big as Saul of Tarsus persecuting Christians and then Paul the Apostle building churches. That's the kind of stuff that the Lord does. Verse 37 says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Piercing in Scripture produces things. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam's side is pierced and God produces a bride. In John chapter 19, Jesus' side is, is pierced and blood and water flow out. Blood in the covenant, water for the cleansing. There's some beauty here. And then in Acts chapter 2, the side, the heart is pierced of the crowd that is hearing this story given with power and the church is born. These are your ancestors. The bride of Christ is born this day. 3,000 souls. You see, the seed must pierce the ground before it can produce any fruit. The first piece that pierces is repentance. An old heart made new. Hear the Spirit, repent, be baptized, and receive the Spirit. How'd that generation feel about the message? Some of us have a hard time sharing the gospel right now because we're worried about what is going to be the response from people around. Listen to me very carefully. Peter is looking at the crowd and saying, save yourself from this perverse generation. How do you think the generation that wasn't interested felt about that delivery? What? Saviors, this group of people is running headlong toward hell and chaos and catastrophe. And Peter says, save yourself from it. Turn to the Lord. We're not always going to be that rough, but there are some moments when you need to be. Some of our conversations with our children need to land a little bit different. There needs to be a little more war in what's going on because there's an enemy out there for their souls. There's an enemy out there hoping to change the way they see life, hoping to change what they build their life off of, and you and I are called to give the truth, and sometimes we need to draw some lines in the sand. How'd that generation feel about that message? I bet they didn't like it real good. So here's the piece I want to give you. There's a reversal here. Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 and Exodus 32. You ready? Moses goes up, God comes down. Right? Mount Sinai. There's chaos in the valley. Remember, they're building the golden idols. Right? Moses has been gone for too long. They're building the idols. Aaron, the brother of Moses, actually helps them do it. Right? Moses comes down, there's judgment. 3,000 die. That's Exodus 32. Acts chapter 2. Jesus goes up, Spirit comes down. There's grace and mercy. 
3,000 live. There's a connection. There's a change of covenant. The God of the universe is operating differently, and his love and grace are now being poured out. Moses went up Mount Sinai. Jesus ascends up the Mount of Olives. He gets there. He asks the Father to send. The Holy Spirit comes down. Grace and mercy are poured out. 3,000 live. God is correcting. God is, is giving the biggest picture of the covenant that he wants to offer to you and I, and it is filled with love and grace. Finally, the last piece, and we'll finish it next week. Just going to read it today. The fellowship of the believers, verse 42, and the devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. All these sinful people coming together and just loving each other. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what's new? The church is new. The church is born. The world is forever changed. They're dealing with teaching, fellowship, food, and prayer. It leads to the power of God being released, the blessing of God's uh, being released, salvation's happening. You know, it's real hard to be together when you live in discord and strife and discontent. It's hard to live together when you and I aren't focusing on the main things, when it's all the side issues that get us. Listen, I'm very proud of you all today that we got some extra people here, and I haven't heard one person say, that's my seat. I'm so proud of you all for not being too rigid that you got to sit in the same seat every week and you got to tell somebody about it if they're in your seat. Man, I am so thankful. I am so thankful. Sweetest group of people I've ever been around. Right? Hi, <laughs> Clarence. Hey, it's hard to live together when you and I are not focusing on the big things, the things of God, the things that matter most, the things that a million years from now will still be paying dividends. So what's new as they come this morning to play? It's all new. It's all new. The world is new. The world is different. What the Lord has done has made you and I new. It's created new community. It's created new opportunity, new hope, new faith, new love, new care. It's all new. And it's your birthright. And it's mine. It's actually the expectation too. You claim the name of Christ, this is the expectation. I pray you and I find large pieces of Acts chapter 2 here this year. I really do. The depth of the church, meaning you and I are growing as disciples. We're becoming more like Jesus. We're getting stronger. And it takes time and stress and trial to get there. And I am welcoming that as your pastor. I am praying for that, that the Lord takes us deep in his love, in his care, in his mercy this year. And then in, in, in breadth, in width. That we see some new people come. Some people come to the Lord and then come here. I don't care about church hoppers and I don't care about other people that have memberships other places and they're mad and they want to bring that here. I don't care about that. I want to heal and help those people, but I want to see some new people far from God brought to God and then brought here for you and I to disciple that baby, to mature that Christian so that they can do the same thing later. 
I want us to see Acts chapter 2 this year. It's been so long. We have seen some glorious things here in the last 10 years. I would like to see some new Christians here this year. You know what that means for me? I got to do some work. You know what that means for you? You can't expect me to do all the work. Right? Tell the story. Tell your story. You serve a good God. You serve a God that is attentive and there. Tell the story. Other people need what you have to offer. The enemy's biggest lie is that you are useless and you have nothing to offer. Almost every person you run into, if you love the Lord and you are anchored into Him, almost every person you run into needs what you have to offer because they are flailing. Homes are a mess. Their hearts are a mess. Schools are a mess. They need what you have to offer. Don't let the enemy lie to you. You are God's messenger, and you have the message. Show the fruit. Be part of the fellowship, the joy, the help, and the gladness of God being poured out here on us and then being poured out on others through us. Service the sacrifice and the strength that comes with a real church. Service the sacrifice and the strength that comes from real church. The growth gain and the glory you and I will get to see as he works. Stand with me this morning. If you need something, you come. One.